0: Thank <laughs>
1: Once again, a big thank you to Wild Earth Australia for their continuous support and being a company that really believes in the adventurous lifestyle. Now, if you need any gear for your next adventure, running, hiking, camping, climbing, survival, you name it, they you have it. So go to the website wildearth.com.au and put in the 10% discount code DIARIES OF THE WILD ONES, all one word, capital letters. Free shipping Australia-wide. They even ship internationally. So, Blake, I've just asked you to come on um, with me just to introduce this next podcast because I was having a little bit of trouble really explaining Barry like Barry the guy that you guys at home are about to hear here on this podcast that I did with him but he's just such a nice humbled guy and I think he just deserves like this little pre-story told of how we how we actually met him and I was with you Blake and we we're sailing from Baval North of Tonga, we are about to hit our weather window to sail to New Zealand via Minerva Reef, but we pulled in for a day or two at a little island north of the, one of the far islands north of the Tongan chain called Hunga. And there was a little safe anchorage in there and this little tiny island. We thought we could we could anchor out there and, and wait for this weather window. And we've pulled in. We've come in through this little channel into this bay. Sketchy channel. Sketchy channel. It was probably twenty meters wide to get the boat in. That comes in this feet
0: deep at high
1: tide. <laughs> at high. Oh my god, it was sketchy. And we've come into this open bay. So this island was just a ring of land. So it's not a volcano, I believe. And it's a beautiful,
0: beautiful lake. Like Essentially, in quite the middle. A sea water, right? It's 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 fed by seawater in the middle, um, with one sketchy, tiny little sketchy pass to get in there. And you motor across and we motor you know, we we, we make our way into the bay and uh, spy a couple of mooring balls on the other side, and we just plan to stay there for a day or two till our weather window came up. We pull over, jump on the one of the mooring balls, no worries. We sort of don't see much as a sign on the beach, and we look over and it says resort for sale yeah
1: but but when we're coming into there there's not really any signs of any life we can see one little structure ahead like in front of the mooring balls and then up the other end of the island you can kind of see a little house or something going on it it doesn't look like anyone lives on this island maybe one or two people and that's what we're expecting is just like a couple of like tongan families like farmers or something Mm. like so go ahead And there's
0: really nothing there i mean i think um resorts may be a bit of a stretch uh in itself as well um because it's a very, very uninhabited and very raw sort of island. So, we pulled up. We jump on the mooring boil and, and um, head down to start cooking some lunch. We hear on the radio, Barry, actually, from shore. He's waving at us from the beach. And he says, hey. It uh,
1: was a really nice, humbled Canadian voice. Yeah. Which has just says, taken us back. Oh, hey. I didn't hear you guys... Uh,
0: or he didn't call out to you what he said. I didn't no, call out he, to you. He, on s- the way he said, in. No. "Oh,
1: so he he apologized that yeah. sorry. He must have been away from the radio yeah, yeah, when yeah. we called <laughs> up to get I on mi- the mooring ball." He, he said, and, "I missed
0: you guys when
1: you came in and must have yeah. you know tried to call." And so we didn't in. know whose mooring ball it was. We just thought would hook up and someone would get in touch with us or come out in the boat and then we could we could pay to use the mooring instead of you know having to anchor or find an anchor. But, and he's just approached it with such a nice, humble way, like, "Oh, sorry, like I mustn't have heard you call, even though we we hadn't called yet." And straight up we're taken back by like okay, for one, like what's this this voice like this American or Canadian? well, he sounded very Canadian like mm, straight up mm. like this Canadian voice on this beach on this random little island, and is that whose mooring it is and and so what we've said to him, yeah, like no worries we'll- co- we'll come to land tomorrow and and meet you and and give you some money for the for the mooring, and you and I, Blake, wanted to go forage coconuts so we could get a whole heap of coconut stock before we head for our. For our big
0: journey across, across for our big passage, quarters, fish curry, yeah, coconut water—that's all we need.
1: Yeah, so 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 next day we get in the dinghy, we get the machete, um, we get some bags and everything, and, and the the plan is to to go give Barry the money for the mooring, and then go along the island and climb coconut palms, and and we've got, we've got a whole heap of containers with us because the whole point is Harvey is to right there, then and there, get the juice out, so you need it, get the meat out. And and stock up, and so like we've we've taken this dinghy to to this little property mm. on the beach, which is two tiny little cabanas. Yeah, like farlays, farlays,
0: and these are like open. You know, these are basic basic accommodation. There's a there's there's a, the size of a double bed, literally, in there, and then a tiny balcony, and it's made out of palm fronds and everything, and it's um, and he's got two of them on the property, and that's his little resort. It's just on this middle of this island, uninhabited, basically, or very
1: tiny village on this island of Tongans. And that's it. And he's out in this far corner. Well, we get to the beach and he comes down and he sits us down around the fire and we start having this chat with him. And we're like, he's got this, there's this little house there that he lives in like a cabin. Mm. And on the other side of the island is the village, which he ends up telling us that there's 250 people living there, which there was no signs of so many people. There were signs of like maybe one or two. And so we start, talking to him that we want to get some coconuts and just start hearing his story of like how the hell this Canadian ended up on this this random island and um, he points us in the direction of you know where it's best to probably find coconuts and and he has four acres there and so he he points us to the edge of his fence line he says get to the edge of the fence line and follow that along and this is like thick rainforest kind of thing it was Mm -hmm. like beautiful beautiful jungle and you and I take off and go climb well we got two climb two separate yeah coconut palms and and i let you
0: do the climbing
1: because i'd lost a fingernail at that point (laughs) i had
0: one hand out of operation yeah and you were gone up
1: so i'm climbing with this machete and how i climb coconut palms are scavenge up and i don't i then climb up onto the canopy so i'm standing above and then i cut them off and so we've harvested a whole heap of coconuts and we have thought well you know we'll get some more for barry and everything and then we've we've got everything that we've needed and we've walked back down to his house to where our dinghy is. And as we come past, we yell out to say, you know, hi, you know, you know, we're coming back through his property and he comes out and he's like, Hey, hey boys, I have something for you. Would you be interested in, in a pig's leg? It was shot yesterday. And so they have wild pigs on the islands and the Tongans like farm, like wild pigs. They just let them run wild. And then every so often, you know, they, they spew on and it's something that Barry himself living off the land is something that he uses feral pigs as part of his um, livelihood. Mm. And he has a garden and everything. And obviously, he relies on his garden for food. And as soon as the pigs get in, they, they devastate it. So, he kind of, as much as he has a fence around and everything, the pigs still get in. So, he will look for a moment when they do get in to, to spear one. Mm. And he has freshly speared a pig. The day before. The day before. And he comes out with a leg with the hooves still on it this big pig's leg and it's like hey boys would you be interested in this and we're like okay like you know so he tells you know wash it in seawater and off you go and I've said to him i said you know Barry you just seem so interesting you have this interesting story of how you live in such a remote way on this island and so primitive like do you reckon I could come back tomorrow with some recording gear would you mind sitting down over a coffee and, and telling the story which is the product of what you guys are about to hear but but, I really want to do this guy justice of how humble he is, and you'll hear that, but just about what an amazing life he's living that he's living and and how raw and how back to nature he is and 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 what struck me was his courage, you know he was a guy who had a by
0: all means you know like a well respected position, life and everything, doing what he was doing in in real estate back home, and just upped and left you know lived on an island for in in Asia. For many years, and then moved to Samoa. Uh, sorry, to Tonga, to uh, and then he's off to Mexico next. You know, he's just not change, not afraid to change it up. Yeah, you know what I mean. That courage to do that and just say, you know, that's um, you know, it's not. This is not what I do. Period. This is what I'm doing at the moment. Yeah. and the willingness just to sort of walk away from that and reinvent himself and what he's doing. You know, as he as he went is, is quite remarkable.
1: Yeah, and so I, I'm I'm really happy that I can provide a platform to get people's like this stories out because it was just so random, just. Really random of how remote we were on this little island in in this chain of Tonga to just have this Canadian living there, and we ended up taking the pig's leg back across to our boat and to the other beach on the other side of the bay, and we took the machete and we got a log on the beach, and we butchered it up and when we went and slow cooked it and ended up cooking it in a pool pork and it lasted us a week and a half it was absolutely beautiful like and we and we took him a bowl the next day when I did the podcast with him. But it was absolutely beautiful. And, and, and I really want to thank Barry for that hospitality that you showed us, giving us that just experience, you know, like mm. by just, you know, giving us that experience by giving us something that was able for us to sustain us so much, you know, being at sea, giving us some protein like that, sharing and sharing your time and sharing your story with us. I, I really want to thank that. And I, I really hope that you listeners really enjoy this one. And uh, thank you, Blake, for helping introduce it with me. No worries, mate. Enjoy. I can't introduce you here, Barry.
2: Actually, I, I might let you introduce yourself. What's your name and, and where are you actually from, Barry? Ah, so my name is Barry Beer. And I'm from Winnipeg, Manitoba, in Canada, and uh, that's where I grew up—the uh, land of ice and snow—and um, lived there for um, the first 22 years of my life, or so. And you know, summers were spent uh, camping out at the lake, and going swimming, and hiking, and biking through the bush, and all that kind of stuff. And winters, you know, cross-country skiing. I did some downhill skiing and later did snowmobiling and ice fishing and um, that kind of stuff. Lots of canoeing on rivers and lakes.
1: So you grew up in quite a wilderness environment.
2: Yeah, even though I lived in the city, my family was very keen on uh, getting out of the city on weekends. And
1: what was it, actually, what was the, do you know the population back then when you... When you were growing up?
2: Uh no, I don't. But Winnipeg's a pretty big city. Um, yeah. Yeah. With-
1: which is so interesting, which we'll, we'll get to, to later in the conversation, that you've grown up in a city environment, and yet you now live so isolated. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, um. so we're sitting here right now in hunger, this beautiful little island, what in the north? How would you describe this island? So it's the north of Vival, um, in the north of the Tongan chain? How? Yeah.
2: Yeah. Vavao is the one of the northern groups. There are a couple of islands further north of here that are part of uh, Tonga called the, the Nui's is their their nickname. Um, but uh, Vavao is well known by the by the cruisers and um, because of it, it's it's a whole group of islands that uh, have all these great little anchorages and places to explore and all these protected waterways. Uh, so it's really become well-known, um, and it's kind of the jewel of Tonga, I think. I mean, Hapai is nice as well. I've I've gone through there by boat. But Which is more south? Yeah, it's yeah. to the south of us, uh, about, uh, oh, what would that be? Um, 100 miles? 100, uh, yeah. 60 or 70 miles, I think, yeah. yeah. So it's still quite
1: far, mm-hmm. but right now we're on one of the most northern, and, and it's a little island called Hunga, Hunga, and you're down in the corner,
2: but what's the population
1: of this island?
2: Um, well, the village, uh, Hunga village, is um, about 250 people that live there, and uh, when you go there, it's it's a pretty sleepy little village. When you go there, you you'd hardly think that there was 250 people living there. Mostly you just see you know, some dogs and kids and lots of pigs roaming around. And uh, and the local people, they spend their time in the mornings uh, going out to their plantations and working their plantations, and then they take a break during the, the heat of the day and often go out in the evening as well. So that and sitting around drinking cava, and the women do lots of weaving and uh, that sort of thing. So
1: what drew you to living off-grid on an isolated island in the north of the Tongan chain being from Canada, I think that's the um the biggest question that's going to drive this conversation that's so interesting about you and you you're such a you're such an amazing soul and such a nice humbled guy and it was it was really it was really we were really taken back by <laughs> because we've sailed into this little island where it looks like there isn't anyone even living here where the people are you guys are so spread out. But to suddenly come ashore and the first guy that we meet is a canadian living in this little off-grid cabin overlooking the um the inlet here and the question is just like how did this happen you know and it's so amazing that you're doing it but but how did this
2: even come about well it it really is a, a a culmination of a a lifetime of planning really ever since i was Oh, eighteen or nineteen years old. I, I wanted to. I wanted to, you know, live in a peaceful and quiet place. And when I was nineteen years old, I bought a cottage lot about a hundred miles uh, northeast of Winnipeg, and uh, built a built a cottage on a lake there. And I would go out there every other weekend uh, during the summer and the winter, and it was my it was my getaway. And at the time, I I was searching for a way to be able to live out there full time and earn enough money just to, you know, have enough to to buy, buy food and supplies and such. Uh, but I couldn't figure a way to do that at the time. So it I had to be happy with just going out there uh, every other weekend. And uh, so I did that for, for a few years. And of course, I mean, that was an off-grid situation as well. And uh, yeah, and I always loved spending time uh, camping and canoeing and and boating and but then when it was in my early 20s i moved to the west coast and uh to get away from the cold um, and that's british columbia yes in canada yeah. yeah so i lived i moved to an area about 100 miles north of vancouver and uh rented, pemberton? pardon me around pemberton uh no, no this was on the coast uh, just north of Vancouver. You had to take two ferries to get to this area. The 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 biggest town in the area is called Powell River and there's about 15,000 people that live there and I rented a house on the on the ocean just north of there and halfway between Powell River and this tiny little village called Lund and that wasn't off-grid, but it was a, certainly a peaceful and quiet place right on the ocean and
1: So you've always been drawn to this peaceful, simple lifestyle. Would you say that you're introverted from that? Cuz you don't seem too introverted. Like you, you're a very social character. Like you're very easy to talk to.
2: Mhm. Yeah, it is an interesting combination. I mean, I think a lot of people that are drawn to this sort of lifestyle are introverted and maybe have some challenges interacting with people. But but that's not the case with me i i do enjoy talking with people and exchanging stories about their lives and and what i've been doing so yeah, yeah. I, I i just I'd, i just like to to have a a life with as little drama as possible um <laughs> you know there was
1: the puppy's getting caught up in, in, in oh, the courts. right there. yes <laughs>
2: but,
1: so um what I find so interesting is like okay, so like a lot of people like stimulation and like living around cities and the buzzingness, and obviously you're the opposite of that. Like, how do you find yourself in a city? Like, do you are you have you isolated yourself so much that now that's overwhelming for you, or like is it still fine? Is it just something that you just rather this simple lifestyle?
2: Uh, it's certainly something I rather this yeah. this lifestyle. You know, when I am in a city, which isn't very often. Um, you know generally speaking neafu the the local town where i go to for supplies they've got about Oh I think about 6000 people or so that live in the in the town itself. I mean that's the big city for me. Yeah and it's a days. tiny little sleepy
1: town and and yeah. we're actually there the other day on Sunday and there wasn't a soul. Oh in Sundays the are very quiet there. Yeah. Yeah yeah.
2: all the businesses are closed and everybody's uh, gone to church and spending time with their families. Yeah. Um yeah so so Neafu is a, is the big city for me. But you know like when I went to Mexico last year I, obviously I needed to spend some some time in bigger bigger places like I spent a a few days in uh, in Los Angeles visiting my cousins on on the way back and and then of course coming into Mexico we flew I flew into Guadalajara which is this huge city but uh, yeah I I do I do kind of get overwhelmed with the the busyness of uh, places like that but usually when I'm in those areas I'm just kind of on a on a mission to to get something done and get out of town as fast as possible You know. yeah um, do,
1: do you think when you meet people in the city and you kind of explain how you live do you think they understand um, I think it'd be hard to picture like you're so isolated on an island living off grid just you and your wife yeah and you know growing growing some of your food and like just living off the land as much as you can and like trading and like it just it just seems such an opposite to the city lifestyle i yeah. think it'd be hard for people to even understand
2: this yeah some people some people can't comprehend it at all other people uh, they they can at least uh, grasp a little bit of what it might be like to to do something like this there's lots of people that have the dream of getting away from the 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 rat race and and the society that they they grew up in, yeah. um, so they have this dream of getting away, but uh, they don't necessarily have the the courage to do it. I I do believe that anyone can do it if you have the courage and the drive to do it. So um, you,
1: you've you've always been drawn to these to these small towns or, or isolated areas and and this simple lifestyle. But has that always been the case? Like, how did you even? get here to the point where you could buy real estate buy land on an island in the in the pacific like yeah. have you have you always just been isolated or have you succumbed to that rat race throughout your adult lifestyle
2: well for a good portion of my adult life i i was you know working in careers that you know required that i uh, get up and go to work every day you know and and uh and And while I was doing that, I, I certainly enjoyed it. Um, you know there there's a certain satisfaction to uh, and most of these times were during self-employment endeavors, right? Um, there were times when I've worked for other people, but most of my life I've been self-employed. and uh, so it does require that you 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 know make make that commitment to do that. And I guess without those those times i I wouldn't be able to have... Got enough capital to be able to do something like this, even though I mean this isn't really a capital-intensive kind of place to to be. So, yeah, it uh, it and it and this is something that I've always always wanted to do, and I haven't got here. Just I mean I didn't leave Canada and come directly here. There's been a bunch of bunch of steps in between there that yeah. uh, that have led me to here.
1: What was the um What was the tipping point? working in in Canada and realizing that it was time to for you to leave or to go live somewhere else how did you actually make that decision
2: uh well at the time I was living in Victoria uh, on Vancouver Island with my wife and we were both real estate agents with Remax and uh uh, quite quite a busy life, and and that's quite a quite a buzzing little city. You you could oh, say yeah. Victoria's a little city for sure. Oh yeah, yeah for sure. And we were doing really well in in our with our real estate work there, but we we had also you know had the 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 inkling that there must be more to to life than just continuing to do that for forever. And I guess one of the one of the things that we did that kind of uh, sparked us to take action on this was we did we did some courses with this guy named Harv Ecker, and uh, he's a, a motivational speaker uh, who was doing lots of lots of workshops in Vancouver and uh, and Victoria, and uh, we attended a number of his workshops, uh, focusing on different different things. Um, you know, one of them was called Warrior Training, and it's how to kind of Find your inner strength, and there was wizard training, you know, which focused on on developing your mind to to think outside the box, and and uh, and you know, another course was about public speaking, and and there was I don't know I think maybe six or eight different courses that we did, and and this is really what what sparked us to take action and do something about our lives and make a break from the rat race
1: had, had you and your wife like just talked about it like say like in vain like before as in like just like oh it'd be nice to live on an island or like did you were you dreaming without acting or like how did it come like how do, how do you explain that like, yeah, we yeah did you guys always dream about this and always just say and it was just in the back of your mind or just did you just do these courses and then say, "Hang on a second, we can go do something"? Well, certainly
2: it- for me, it was always a dream. I mean, even like I was telling you earlier about when I, you know, had the cottage property in Manitoba, it has always been my dream. And I suppose uh, when Cindy and I got together, she she grew to to uh, to have the same sort of dream and saw the same kind of same kind of life that I envisioned for us, and uh, so. So, yeah, it's something that was in me for a long time, and then cindy and i did did start talking about it and and certainly dreaming about doing something like this that's always the first step and for you know the vast majority of people that's as far as they're going to get about you know making a change in their life uh, is, i mean it's got to start with a dream yeah. and uh it's it's only only a certain small percentage of people that will actually act on that dream and do something about it and make. Make that dream a reality, and so for us, our our escape was to be able to uh, reduce our expenses so that we didn't have to earn as much money because the more money you make, the more money you spend. And but if you reduce your expenses, you can live on a lot less money. And so we we paid down debt and we came up with a plan to uh, to go traveling in a in our motorhome. So we 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 saved our money and. Uh, sold a couple of properties that we had we had a condo on the waterfront in victoria as well as a rental condo and we we sold those and uh bought a motor home were you, and, were you
1: scared oh yeah like doing that like was that but you just had that what was that drive there was it did it all come from that motivational speaking or was it just like did you just go into the fear like, did you just understand it was something that you had to do at the time, or like?
2: Well, yeah, it 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 was scary uh, for sure, and you know, there's this saying that f- feel the fear and do it anyways, right? Yeah. Um, and I, I don't, th- and I think that you know, fear is it's a it is a healthy reaction, but but you can't let your fear stop you from from doing what you dream of doing, and and so fear is kind of like a a check in yeah. in the process of making a change in your life so yeah we were we were scared to make make these kind of changes um it was actually pretty funny here we were and so when we sold our our properties and bought the motorhome we actually lived in our motorhome for a year in victoria before we before we left victoria and so it's pretty funny here's here's these two successful real estate agents living in a (laughs) motorhome in a motorhome park in victoria (laughs) But was mm-hmm. that was that
1: a great? Do you reckon that was a great transition because you got to live in like this tiny space and like
2: get back to get back to that simple lifestyle, like slowly, like a transitional period? Oh, for sure, yeah, yeah. So we did get used to living in a smaller space. Plus, you know, we we did a bunch of things with the motorhome to prepare for traveling, um, and to you know acquire the things that we knew that we would need while we were on the road. And uh, so yeah, we spent spent a year preparing to preparing the motorhome to travel and uh and then uh and then we 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 quit our jobs we talked to talked to our boss at the remax office that we worked at and uh told them that we were closing up shop and uh and going going traveling in our motorhome and i mean him and and all of the realtors that we worked with they were they were really quite shocked about it you know some of them some of them knew that we had sold our properties and we were in a motorhome, but not all of them knew the whole plan. But at yeah. that point, the whole plan was revealed, and and it was it's a pretty unusual thing for uh, you know a couple of successful real estate people to do to throw yeah. in the towel. And did you go have and support? Else.
1: Did your friends and family, your co-workers, did they also support the decision?
2: Um, yeah, yeah, I think a lot of them, a lot of them couldn't understand why we would do such a thing but there were a lot of them that uh, that also really you know provided motivation for us to say yeah yeah that's a great idea and and a lot of people really liked it you know and that doesn't mean that they would ever do it but they sure liked the idea of, yeah. of doing that and they were they were really happy for us that we were actually doing something about it. So what was that
1: first plan to take the motor home and, and, and go where did you have a destination? Did you have a plan in
2: place? Um, yeah, yeah, we, uh, our, our plan was to go to Mexico, but we didn't want to go there fast. We, we, we like to travel slowly. And so we took uh, three months to, to travel down the West coast of the States, uh, along highway 101, which runs right along the coast. And many days we'd only traveled 20 or 25 or 30 miles and, uh, and then, uh, then stop for the night and go hiking and walk on beaches and, um, you know, see the local sites and uh, really kind of take in the place as much as we, we could. And so so we spent three months going down the, the coast of the, of the States. Uh, but really, Mexico was our destination. And uh, once we got to Baja, California, we, our, our destination there was this little beach on the Sea of Cortez side of Baja uh, called Playa Santa Spac. And uh, and we rolled the motorhome into there, parked the motorhome just a few meters from the beach, and uh, and that was home for for three months while we kind of continued our uh, de-stressing from from our busy life back busy in life, Victoria. Yeah.
1: So, do you reckon how was that transition? Was it hard at first?
2: Ah oh, no, we we loved it. Yeah. Um, it was really nice to be able to uh, you know take a break from all of that and just to, just to relax for a change, you know? I mean, you know, when you're, when you're busy in a, in a career, you're up at, you know, 5.30 every morning, you, you shower and get dressed and you, and you're out of the door and, and dealing with traffic and you're in the office working and busy day through the day. And oftentimes you don't get, get home until six or seven o'clock at night and then, I mean it's just such a busy lifestyle and we had had we had, had enough of it at that point. So it was really nice just to to just kind of, you know, let the let the sun be our guide for the day, you know, Come, get up with the sun, go to sl- go to bed when the sun sets and or or at least be be chilling out and and relaxing. So yeah, we we took to it quite easily.
1: Yeah. So where did you end up with the motorhome?
2: Ah, so so we were so we were 3 months uh at uh, Playa Santa's back, and then we traveled uh, uh, for another three months uh, uh, further south from there down to the southern tip of Baja, and and then back up to the states again. Because uh, when you go into Mexico, uh, you get a six month uh, tourist visa. So we needed to go back to the states to you know be out of Mexico. And but you only have to go out for a couple of days, and then you can come back in again. So we uh, so we spent six months in total on the Baja Peninsula, then back up to the states, and then traveled through Arizona, and then back back into the states, uh, but or back into Mexico, but mainland Mexico. And so then we traveled down the west coast of mainland Mexico over the next number of months, uh, all the way down as far as uh, uh, Acapulco, and then we traveled up through the interior of the state so during that uh during that time the weather was really great and and it wasn't cyclone season on the on the coast uh but once cyclone season arrived then we headed inland up into the mountains with the motorhome and, and, and you uh, never had
1: any troubles in mexico it, it was just being being to to a couple older couple from canada with a motorhome Never any troubles.
2: Uh there, are very few troubles. There's a there's a few things you need to watch out for when you're, when you're traveling. Pretty basic stuff. I mean, a lot of times, you know, you don't want to be driving at night, especially with with a big vehicle like a motorhome. You know, you want to, and in Mexico, you want to stay away from the the touristy areas uh, or the border towns. Those are areas where there's often more trouble, uh, mostly related to to drugs and the drug trade uh, yeah. that happens a lot in Mexico but if you stay away from those places it we we felt very safe traveling around so yeah and, and so so then we we you know spent that second 6 months coming down the west coast and then back up through the interior and then back up to the states um and so we went into this little town in in Texas to uh, reprovision and uh, get, get supplies and such, and then back into Mexico again um, through the through the highlands of Mexico, and then down back down to Acapulco or through through Mexico City this time. And uh, spent a bunch of time in Mexico City as well as in some of the, the uh, areas around Mexico City where there's a lot of archaeological sites and uh, the Mayan ruins and such. We we loved going to the, all of the Mayan ruins and, and all the old Catholic churches and just... Yeah you know taking in all the history of the country.
1: So so even now at this point you're like nearly 2 years or a year and a half into into your motorhome trip is there still a plan in place did you have a plan at this stage to go back to Canada or is it just let the let the road take you
2: Uh well no the plan was never to go back to Canada it was to find a a place to settle down. We knew that we we weren't necessarily going to be in the motorhome forever, uh, so we were looking for a place that we were going to settle down for a longer period of time. And so so we uh, started inv- investigating, while we were traveling in Mexico, we started investigating where we would wind up. And so we looked at places like, like Belize and Ecuador and Panama and uh, a lot of places that a lot of other expats have gone to in the past and and, and have set up a, a new life there. And um, so after much research and much uh, decision making, we wound up deciding on going to Belize for a number of reasons. First, you know, English is spoken there. And... Uh, which you know made it really easy for us to be there. Uh, it was a place that we could drive to with the motorhome, and it was an easy place to get get residency. Uh, so we drove the after doing finishing our travels uh, around Mexico, we we drove the motorhome to Belize and uh, rented a a lot on the sea. It was actually it was actually the. From a family that lived in this town, um, they didn't have a yard at their house in town, uh, so on on weekends they would come out to this this property just outside of town, and they'd have family picnics and everything. And they had a they had a basketball court set up there and a little a little building with the uh, kitchen area. So we rented the property from them, and it was a great place to have the motorhome. We parked the the motorhome on the basketball court. We, you know, hooked the septic system uh, from the motorhome into the, the septic tank that they had there. Uh, there was water and power. And anyways, so we, we lived for a year there in our motorhome in Belize uh, on this lot right by, the, right by the sea.
1: What an adventure. I, I just love the fact that you've left your, your home country, your hometown, your, your whole life behind and gone in search of a new life. Like literally just see where you end up. And just to start a whole new life, you know? It's like reinventing yourself. You yeah. know what I mean? It's like, I think we've talked about it bef- before. It's like, you can go through and it's like, you can go somewhere and just be whoever you want to be. You can just go be, completely
2: be yourself, a complete new beginning. It's just so, yeah. such a magical experience. But And you don't have to have uh, a destination in mind. Uh, it's kind of like uh, driving in a car at night. Your headlights will light up an area in front of the car and you can see you can see a certain area in front and that's you know that's where you're going but you don't necessarily see what your destination is a hundred miles away or a thousand miles away uh you don't know what you're going to expect further along the road but that's we go through life um you know just seeing seeing what's in front of us and and just kind of following your nose and (laughs) and so that's that's what we did and so belize just felt right yeah, for sure. And so it was really easy getting residency there. All you needed to do was to stay in the country for, for 12 consecutive months, and you were only allowed to be outside of the country, I think, for 21 days or something like that uh, during that 12 months. And then after you were uh, there for 12 months, then you could apply for your residency. And so that's what we did, and uh, and it was pretty pretty easy process. And, uh, and then once we got our... So while we were while we were there uh during that first year in Belize we decided on where we were going where we were going to go um we were going we were going to go to this little island called Key Cocker. So after in we search got in such
1: of that isolation again?
2: Yeah, yeah. Yeah,
1: that simple lifestyle.
2: Yeah. And so we uh our, our motorhome was we bought it in Canada and it would have been difficult to sell it. In Belize or in the United States, because of you know the registration and inspections and everything, and so so we decided we would take the motorhome back to Canada, uh, to sell the motorhome, and and come back to Belize to to the island of Key Cocker, and that's where we were gonna gonna settle down. And uh, so after we got back to Canada and sold the motorhome, spent some time visiting family and friends, and then we uh, traveled with uh, a couple of big suitcases. By, by boat, by train, by bus, all the way from Victoria, all the way down into Guatemala. <laughs> and, You're kidding me. Yeah, no, no, and um, and it was a great way to. I mean, first of all, it's a pretty inexpensive way to travel. It certainly takes longer than hopping on an airplane, but you get to see the countryside a lot more, right? And uh, so through all these different modes of transportation, we uh, we. We wound up in Guatemala, and we wound we spent uh, five months in Gu- Guatemala, traveling around there, uh, seeing more more Mayan ruins and uh, exploring the country and uh, uh, and and the culture there. It's it's a pretty Hello. cool place. Well, you and Cindy, you and your wife, at this stage. Uh, at this stage, we were, I guess, in our early forties or so. Uh, uh, pretty young to be. You know retired and yeah uh, or at least i mean at the time we really th- kind of saw it more as a sabbatical than than a retirement but so we spent five months in belize or in uh, guatemala and 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 key cocker in belize was our our destination after doing that that bit of traveling and uh so we uh we got to key cocker and rented an apartment there and later rented a house on the beach and we were six years on the island
1: Six years? Yeah. So you, you didn't end up buying
2: there? No, we didn't buy uh, a place there, we we just rented this little house. It's so so cheap to rent yeah. um, it just made more sense to, to rent than to buy a place.
1: How did that feel just to have like a new beginning, like living in a new place like making new friends, a new, new environment, a whole different culture how did that feel just to was it just complete adventure?
2: Uh it it was, yeah. You know, every every day there's something something new going on and new experiences, new new places to explore. Yeah, which I think is kind of what what life should be like. Yeah. You know, life should be an adventure, not not boredom.
1: <laughs> well it keeps it exciting.
2: Oh for sure, yeah, yeah. And it was a great place to spend time, you know, this, this island is it's a, a sand island. The highest point above sea level is, I think it was eight feet above sea level, was the highest point on the island. And it was all mm-hmm. sand. I didn't wear shoes for the whole time I I, I lived there. I went bare feet all the time. Rode bicycles. There was just a few a few trucks like delivery trucks on the island. So mostly people got around by. Uh, by golf carts and bicycles or, or walking. It was great not to not to wear shoes for, for so many years. Yeah. Yeah. So
1: after, after six years in Belize, did you suddenly just start feel, feeling like a change again or a complete? Because going from Belize, mm-hmm. is that then how you ended up in Tonga?
2: Well, uh, that's right. Yeah. Belize was the place where we were living before we came here. And so what was going on uh, during the during the time that we were in Belize, there were some changes going on in terms of the the routes that uh, drug trafficking was was taking. So during that time, the drug enforcement Agency in the states was working with uh, Mexican uh, enforcement agencies to to curb the 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 smuggling of drugs coming into the coast of Mexico and then north up into the states and they did a very good job of that but all of the all of the drug smugglers would all they did was to bring more drugs ashore further south and that's where Belize is so there's a lot more a lot more drug drug trafficking going on during the time that. That we were there, and it made the place more more dangerous than we were comfortable with. Even though we we didn't we lived on this little island, it was only a 40-minute boat ride away from the big city, from Belize City, and uh, and so there was a lot more of peripheral crime happening even on the on the islands like Key Cocker and so we decided we wanted to live in a safer place and um, one of our one of our clients we <laughs> we wound up getting back into the real estate business when we were on the on the Keycocker we started we started own company there and I became a Remax agent again. So and you so- uh,
1: slowly found yourself working again. That's true. Is-
2: yeah. And it actually ties in with, you know, what we've got going on here in Tonga as well. So what happened in regards to that was that people on the island uh, found out that we were, we had been real estate agents in Canada. You know, to, to find honest, reputable real estate people in a third world country is a bit of a rarity and so people found this out and knew that we knew what we were doing and they started asking us for help to find a place to buy or to uh, to sell a place and uh, and before we knew it we were back in business again and the business and because we knew what we were doing we it was very very quickly that we became the the number one, company on the island because there was a few small companies uh, and so so business grew to the point where we were busier in our real estate work on Key Cocker than we were when we were doing real estate work in Victoria and so you know we had left the rat race in Victoria but then we recreated a rat race on this little tropical island yeah. right so back to the original plan of escaping again exactly yeah and so one of our clients, one of our real estate clients from Key Cocker, had leased a piece of land uh, in Tonga here, actually on Hunga Island here. And uh, he was telling us about uh, about Tonga and uh, what it was like here. And uh, so we started doing some more research and eventually found this property listed online and uh, did more research on this property and eventually wound up leasing it uh, sight unseen <laughs> uh, which is a really weird thing to do for a couple of real estate people. Yeah. Um, Did you realize how
1: isolated it was?
2: Uh, yeah, yeah. We'd, we had done lots of research, you know, with Google Earth and as well as on the web. And plus, we had contacted a number of yachts who were traveling in Vavao um, at that time, asking them if they were going to be visiting Honga Lagoon. And so we made a connection with uh, with several of them. Uh, and this is all as a result of the fact that yachties often have have blogs where they post you know their their travels and um, so that's how we found these people and so uh, three different couples uh, did this for us. they came to the the property here uh, took some photos and reported back to us on what what they found And so based on that and you know the google Google Earth images and all the research from online we, we jumped in and, and leased it uh before even being in Tonga.
1: So what did you buy here? It's four acres?
2: Yeah, it's a four acre piece of property and and it's and it's a lease, uh leased land. In Tonga you can't buy land. Even locals can't buy land. It's all leased land. So yeah, and it was it was completely I mean, there was no development on the property at all. No house, no gardens, no clearings or anything. And so when we got here it was just all bush and uh, so it was lots of, lots of work to
1: So how did you do going? that? Like when you, you first arrive in this small little island, how did you end up building? We're here in a nice little cabin um, overlooking the water, overlooking this this beautiful beach. But how did you live? How did you get the supplies here? How did you build this?
2: Like, yeah. This- so when we first came to Vavao, we, uh, we rented a house in Neafu uh, for a month. And during that time, we did a whole bunch of provisioning, building materials and tools. And, uh, and we had done a lot of this stuff in Los Angeles as well before coming to Vavao. We had stayed for, um, for a month in Los Angeles with my cousins there and bought a lot of stuff on Amazon and had it delivered and brought that stuff with us on the plane. And then we did more provisioning during that month that we were in Neafu. And uh, during that time, we hadn't even come out to the property. We knew it was waiting for us here, yeah. uh, but we wanted to get to the property and, and not leave. Um, so yeah. that's why we didn't visit the property during that one month that we were here. In, so you knew Neapu. you had to,
1: you knew you had to come in with a game plan. You knew you're coming into a, a raw, untouched block on a on a little island. Oh yeah, and yeah. so you had to have a plan in place.
2: Yeah, and and all the the tools and supplies in order to implement that plan. Yeah, and so um, so we came out here. Uh, you know, we had uh, chartered a a barge from Neafu to bring uh all of our stuff out here uh, so we had water tanks and building supplies and um all our equipment and stuff that we wanted to bring and so we came out here on uh with this barge and it was such a such a thrill to and the day was perfect you know the the seas were calm and the sun was shining and um You know, we traveled along the west side of the lagoon, looking at the cliffs or the west side of the island, looking at all the cliffs um, and then came into the lagoon. And it was like it was completely what we expected and and uh, came came across the lagoon to the beach here. And uh, it was actually really cool when we first got here and in the barge, um, there was this uh, there was this family that was uh that were hanging out on the beach here and uh they had a, a dugout canoe uh with an outrigger on it and it was a, a man and a woman and their little little child. And so the man was in his canoe uh fishing out front and uh his his wife and their little baby were playing on the beach and, and that's that's what we, we saw when we got here. It was just wonderful. It was a great uh this is introduction. Simple life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so uh so we you know, hired some local people to help unload the barge. Um, cleared a little space uh, uh, down where the fire pit is there. And so was, was this all just overgrown bush? Yeah, it was all all thick bush. You know, to travel from the beach up to where the house is now, I mean, it was a real mission just to get, get up this far. The bush was that thick. So on that first day that we got here, you know, we cleared a little space right where the fire pit is there. Uh, I had uh, um, the materials... Uh, ready for building a a platform uh to put our tent on and uh we set up the tent and we had a uh inflatable queen size mattress that uh, fit in the tent it was a quite a big tent a two room tent and uh we got everything all set up and and slept in comfort on that first night here and uh and then we wound up living in the tent for a year while we uh, decided on where we wanted to build the house and and then building the the time that it took to build the house and then moved into the house so were you what an amazing
1: thing to do with your wife and to have a wife to do that with you were you you just cooking on a fire when you're living in the tent how were you water and food
2: uh well we we had uh we had bought a a refrigerator um that we and and we had a, a generator and so we ran the generator for a couple of hours each day and while the generator was going, the fridge was running. So the fridge portion of the of the the refrigerator was basically like a, a a food pantry. It would it would cool down with a couple hours of running, but the freezer portion would cool down enough to be be like a fridge. And so that was that was how we kept food during the those first first that that first year. And uh, and for cooking, we had a a, a two burner actually no. at the time it was just a one-burner gas stove that was uh, on the table, and that's what we did all our cooking on.
1: And so I I, I notice up here, just on the corner of the house up here, you have a little orchard going. Was that something as well to start getting some fruit trees in straight away?
2: Um, Yeah, um, that did happen after we moved into the house, though. But just clearing that area was a bit of a mission for sure. You know, that that whole area over there where the orchard is was a a Salamohe forest. So lots and lots of time uh, cutting trees and digging out stumps. That's
1: that weed, the local weed you were just talking about. Well,
2: yeah, it's actually a tree, but it grows like a weed. (laughs) And uh, it produces these seeds that, uh, like, I mean, just thousands of seeds And so there's lots of new ones that sprout up all the time. So it was quite a mission.
1: It was funny. I was having a, we're talking about this yesterday um, with my friend, just about the simple lifestyle and breaking off and, but not having challenges in your life where a career working for someone and you're constantly being challenged. But would you find that doing this was
2: just as challenging and as rewarding or if not more? Uh, it was certainly as challenging and 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 more rewarding. Um, you know this it wasn't easy what we did it it's a it's a it's a big project, you know, to arrive in a place where you are starting with just thick raw jungle um, and then making making a home for yourself there. It's a lot of work. Um, and of course, it's all. Done by hand. I mean, there's no heavy machinery or anything. I mean, we we have a chainsaw and uh, for for cutting trees and such. And we've hired some local help to to help with stuff as well. But it's a it's a big job. Uh, it's a big project for sure. Yeah. And 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 yeah, that that's that was our challenge during those early years.
1: Yeah. Well, and this is a beautiful little cabin, and, and we'll we'll put some um, photos on the website. So definitely go on the website and have a look. Um, at, at what you've created here, but how do you live your life now? Like, how is this ple- place set up to sustain yourself and to live?
2: Um, well, um, you know, in any remote location, water is always the the, the number one thing that you need to uh, provide for. And so uh, we have rainwater catchment off the roof of our house uh, going into two 5,000-litre uh, uh, water tanks. And uh, so that's how we how we have all of our our drinking water here, uh, and water for cooking and washing.
1: And do you find you have enough? Is there enough rainfall here for you to?
2: Oh yes, plenty of rainfall. Yeah, but and during the dry months we do have to kind of manage our water. I mean, it's you know it is certainly something that uh, that you have to do in a in this kind of a situation. You can't you can't leave the tap running when you're brushing your teeth and. Um, you know, yeah. there's lots of lots of tricks that you can do to save water, right? And uh, and you know, people just get used to that here. And I mean, we're we don't we don't we we're not for lack of water at all. Uh, when we need water, it's we have it there, but we just don't waste any of it. Yeah. So that's that's the water. And the next thing is is power. And um, and for us here, we we run almost completely on solar power. Um, we have about uh, 1,200 watts of solar panels up on the roof um, of the house, and those feed power into a battery bank. And then from there, we run a lot of 12-volt loads. All the lights in the house are LED lights, except for one out on the porch here, which is a fluorescent light. Um, and then we have uh, uh, two inverters that convert uh, the 12-volt power into Uh, ac power Um, we do have some north american stuff that we run so we have a 120 volt uh, inverter as well as a 240 volt inverter for running 240 volt loads and uh, and then we have a generator for running big things like the washing machine or power tools
1: so would you say that you're missing out on common luxuries at all on
2: like uh no not really i mean we don't have We don't have a toaster or a microwave, (laughs) but there's, I mean, you can, you can certainly live without a microwave and we actually, we do have a toaster. It runs on the gas stove, you know, where you, uh, kind of an old school toaster where, where you lean the toast up on this rack. Uh,
1: And then, so what do you just, I see you've got a little boat just anchored just out here, just a little center console. Do you just run that back to, to the main island to, to near, how do you pronounce it? Neafu. Uh, neafu
2: neafu to, yeah. the,
1: to the village Neafu to get supplies. How often do you have to do that?
2: Well, during the busy season when there's more people around, um, you know, guests or woofers, once a week, but mostly once every two weeks. During the off season when it's uh, more quiet, my preference is to go to town every three weeks or four weeks. And you just kind of stock up on stuff, and uh, and then it's always a relief to get back to the lagoon. And, yeah. Yeah.
1: And so, how have you created an income for yourself here? So That's another interesting thing. It's like you've you've broken away from this busy lifestyle, from a, a city lifestyle, which most people would see as such a secure lifestyle because you've got work, you've got income. Now, you've broken away. Obviously, you're living off grid, so there's a lot of – you don't have to – there's you can survive on less of an income, but I, I'm sure you still need an income and i've noticed that you've you've created that yeah,
2: yeah, certainly you know what you mentioned reducing your expenses that's probably the biggest single thing to to you know help help to to live more simply, reduce expenses and and when you're living off grid, you know you don't have a power bill or a water bill, and being being remote there's there's no there's no social pressures and keeping up with the Joneses or going to a, moving to a bigger house or getting a newer car and and all that kind of stuff. That that saves a lot of money as well. Not being part of all of that. Yeah. So so we have. Um, We have yacht moorings out out front here we have three yacht moorings and one across the lagoon and uh so there's a during the busy time of the year there's a lot of yachts that come into the lagoon uh that stay on our moorings so we have income from from that as well as i have a setup where i have an antenna down by the beach where it broadcasts our internet signal over the mooring field so that we can sell internet to the yachties right from their yachts um, which they aren't able to get on their own, because the lagoon is kind of like in the bottom of this bowl with high ground all around, so they're not able to reach the... They yeah,
1: were very sheltered from the satellite. If you go up a mast, you get a bit of a signal that comes in the wind.
2: Yeah. 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 So so um, yacht moorings and internet sales, plus we have a couple of fallets, um Tongan phalets, which is like a... phalet is the Tongan word for house, and uh, a Tongan phalet is a traditional house made with posts and sticks from the bush and woven palm leaves for the walls and roof and yeah. and so we uh, we have those for um for tourist accommodations yeah and they're, as well. they're
1: very simple but very beautiful
2: yeah. yeah yeah you saw them one of them the yeah. other day
1: yeah how how did you find that the culture changing and living in a different culture how did you find that and were you accepted here like how easy was it to integrate yourself with this new culture
2: uh it was pretty easy um given the the traveling that we had done already we were quite quite used to the process of integrating ourselves into uh the culture of another country and uh so yeah it was it was pretty easy and yeah generally well accepted by the by the community there's always a few that you know are are less than inviting but, uh, but for the most part, it, it's been a really good experience to to be here and to be part of this community.
1: And I suppose that's what it all is. It's just experience and just a new experience. And, but what I'm finding here, which is what's so amazing, is, is that you've created this whole new lifestyle and you did one in Belize and then you've done one in Tonga and now you're about to change again you've just you're selling this place right now and you're about to move to mexico
2: yeah that's right yeah
1: and so again is that another scary thing or is that just another new adventure just to constantly chase this another experience
2: uh it is it is a scary thing again um especially for me i think just because putting this place together has been you know a a lifelong dream for me to to live in the south pacific you know in a remote secluded area uh being off grid it's something i've wanted to do for pretty much my whole life and now now we've done it mm. and uh and i'm really going to miss this place when when we leave here you know the the place where we're going in mexico is not quiet and peaceful like this pretty much anywhere you go other than a place like this it's going to be going to be busy so i'm i'm really going to miss the the peace and solitude of Hong yeah. of haven what's
1: your everyday to day life here like right now we're sitting on your your balcony just looking at just just beauty just nature and it's just so calm and so quiet but do you do you get bored at all
2: <laughs> no <laughs> i'm i'm not bored that's actually a question that a lot of people ask me because uh, i meet a lot of the people who come on the yachts and we do th- this kind of thing sit around uh I, I tell them about, you know, how I came to be here, and they tell me about how they came to be traveling on a yacht, and and they often ask, it, you know, it must be must be boring. There's nothing to do out here, but but that's not the case at all. You know, anytime you have a piece of land, there's always stuff to do. Uh, same thing with having a house. You know, there's always. Things to upgrade or to fix, or plus, you know, running the business here. So no, never, never bored. So you do you constantly find yourself challenged? Um, yeah, but in a in a good way. Yeah, yeah, in a good way. yeah. That's what I mean. It's, it's, a, it's constantly... challenge without pressure behind yeah. the challenge. Um, you know, when uh, when I get up in the morning, um, you know, I don't I don't always plan my days ahead you know i kind of get up in the morning and kind of decide on what i'm going to do based on what the weather is like or what i feel like doing whether i'm you know going to launch into a big project or putter with smaller projects uh yeah um and uh
1: and just it's so amazing the freedom that you have to do that oh yeah yeah Yeah. would you go back to that life in victoria
2: no no it's just not for you it's yeah, I've been there, done that. And uh I no, I, I don't think I could do it again actually. Um it would it would be a real big challenge for me to, to Yeah to do, well, I, do that again. I often
1: say and I think people get the wrong the wrong message with this, but it's like there is nothing wrong at all. There is nothing wrong at all with what anyone what anyone is doing actually. It's just they're just living their life doing their thing. But if you are not content in your life it's like you're choosing to to do that if, if you if you're not content with the job that you that you're in or the relationships you're in it's like you're choosing to get up and, and work that job you're choosing to do this it's like and we are able to change that and it's like there is nothing wrong with someone working in a factory 9 to 5 but they're content And so many people are content and enjoying their lives doing that. So there is nothing wrong. But for people that aren't content and are dreamers and are people that want to act on their dreams, what advice
2: would you have from doing it yourself? Oh, um, yeah, just keep the dream alive and take it one step at a time. You don't always have to know what the whole plan is going to be you just need to know what the next step or two is um whether that be reducing expenses or saving money or you know getting some tools and equipment together that you know that you're going to need in in this new life that you want to create just keep the dream alive and take it one step at a time and i've i've done this you know numerous times through my life you know from in my 20s when i left left the prairies and moved to the coast and you know, moving from up the coast, uh, living in the rainforest there down to Victoria. Uh when we left Victoria to go to travelling in our motor home, when we left left Belize, uh you know, to come here. You know, it's it's a constant recreation for yeah. for us.
1: Well you've learned you've learned that it's all okay and that everything's going to be okay. And I think that's the thing, people get stuck in that fear. And that's why I love telling pe- people stories like this. So having Having a platform where people can tell their story, and it's just showing. And I think that's the, always the constant thing um, with Diaries of the Wild Ones is that people are always motivated, motivated by their fear, or people are always allowing themselves to, even when they fear something, to to take that leap. Yeah, and it's and that's the thing. And I think uh, a friend of mine the other day was saying like, oh, that's people. You know, you're, you're telling people that they're wrong by living their life. And I'm like, oh, I think, and I I kind of got, I was sad that someone got that message because that's not the message at all it's like the message is exactly what you've done when you've dreamt and allowed yourself to to put the the steps in place to go do it
2: yeah and and like i said i mean you don't you don't need to have the complete plan you just need to get started and and you need to you don't need to know how it's all going to work out you just need to believe that it will work out yeah. one way or another i mean the sun always comes up the next morning and uh that you can you can count on you can believe in that just like you can believe that you know everything is all going to work out in in your life but just yeah do it keep the dream alive and get started
1: that is such a beautiful message now barry i know you've got a really sore back and i've been sitting you down here for 58 minutes so
2: oh. i want to say thank you and
1: really appreciate it. and um Again, actually, thank you so much because we came here yesterday to forage coconuts mm-hmm. and you gave us um a, a freshly shot pork leg oh yes, uh, a pig's leg that I just just um yeah and, yeah and, and, and we you, took
2: you brought some of it back today
1: <laughs> we slow cooked it all night and and made it into pulled
2: pork, pulled pork and um thank you so much for your hospitality oh, it was really great to meet you guys. Thank you for coming by and and thanks for for doing the interview. It was great to uh, tell a story like this. I've I've never, never done this kind of an interview before or, or a podcast, and uh, just uh, I'd like to thank you for the opportunity.
1: Yeah, thanks so much, Barry. Now, um, good luck with your with your travels, and good luck. And it's and it's sad. It's going to be really sad to know that you're leaving this place, but good luck on the next adventure. And I'm I'm stoked you're following that dream that you have. Oh,
2: thank you. Yes, more more uh, more adventures ahead, and more travels ahead. Yeah. Thanks so much, man. Right,
0: yes, oh.
1: So if you like this episode, please feel free to share it and leave a rating. And if you have or know of anyone with a wild story, please get in contact with me through my Instagram, Aaron Underscroll Shanks, or the website, diariesofthewildones.com, because I'd love to sit down over a beer or a coffee and hear it.
0: Just yes, I am the Italian. 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 I am Yeah, I do it like a double.